welcome back to the advice from hannah show i'm super excited that you click play this is season two episode 77 people over profit featuring marisol dicion she is a total goat i'm so excited that she graced us with her presence but we're going to learn about her in a couple minutes before we jump into this episode i want to ask you to subscribe to our podcast we are available on spotify itunes and soundcloud if you love it share it with a friend and tag us in stories are you ready let's jump into this episode shall we element to my show i swear to you whenever i bring him to the interview sometimes i'm like i'm gonna kill you later (laughs) (laughs) but nonetheless welcome back to the advice from hannah show i'm super excited i have my first guest in a really long time (laughs) i'm honored marisol (laughs) right i have to do the thing what an intro (laughs) right dude i'm I'm pumped i'm wearing lipstick in my house i know i shoes i feel bad because i showed up with like barely any eyebrows on but you know i'm here (laughs) dude i've been pumped when you asked me i was like oh my god so super super humble that you're here i like to kind of start off with asking you to just like describe yourself and and what you do because business first and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty yeah i mean my name is marisol I'm a kid from Scarborough. <laughs> um, I'm the owner and principal of DC on Inc., which is a public relations firm based in Toronto. Uh, prior to that, I worked predominantly in the agency world in, in PR. Uh, and before that, I mean, I got my start in communications as a reporter at 680 News. I had this dream as a child of being the next Barbara Walters, to be really honest with you. <laughs> I watched 2020 religiously with my mother. And just would always picture myself in that seat, asking the hard-hitting questions and <laughs> telling the awesome stories. And life took a different turn. And I mean, I, I think I'm. I, it's safe to say that I'm still in the narrative sharing business, just in a very different way. Dude, Barbara Walters was the truth. She's a goat. <laughs> that was Oprah's idol. Yeah. Barbara Walters is Oprah's idol. And uh, I mean, I, I definitely look up to both of them. They're fantastic interviewers. They're fantastic storytellers. Dude, Oprah, I study Oprah, mute. Like, I watch her mute, which is insane. Just how, and then sometimes now I can catch her. She says a word at the beginning of her, of her interview, and then she brings it back, like, four minutes before she closes. She's like, and she does an interview, I'm like, oh, you're about to close, aren't you? So then I get super excited. Um, she is, she's something else. We talk about Oprah all day. Oh, yeah. I think we talked about Oprah last time I spoke with you as well. Yeah. <laughs> She's part of my key messages. <laughs> Oprah knows everything. I'm going to interview her one day. I just put it. I put it in my head. I will. Her and I will meet. Um, but I gotta ask you, how did you? So you take corporate world, right? So yeah. You're in your corporate world. How did you navigate into entrepreneurship? How was that? How was that fun thing for you? <laughs> very. The first. My first attempt was very messy. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. Um, I think I was about seven years into my career and I left my I left I left the agency that I was at and decided I'm gonna try to start a firm. And I um you know, I'm glad I did it because I learned a lot of things about what to do, what not to do, and I learned a lot about myself as well. It obviously wasn't the timing just wasn't right. Uh failed. 
and then, you know, had to eat humble pie and go back to corporate world. So I went back to corporate world for another three years. And then my intuition in just before 2018 came upon us was just telling me it was time. And I trusted it, made the leap and haven't looked back since. And like I said, timing is everything. And this was absolutely the right time. I love that you said that because so many of us sometimes try to force something that isn't ready yet. Yeah. Like we're trying to take like food off the stove when we're not ready to eat. And then I think that's such an important thing. What would you say was that turning point that you thought, okay, now I'm ready? Like, was there a defining moment? Honestly, with, with a lot of, I mean, I like, I like to compare it to like, though I don't have any children, so I respectfully make this comparison. It's like bringing a child into the world. You know, it, you need nine months before the baby is fully developed. And I tried to birth something that was not fully developed. And guess what happened? It didn't survive. So I gave it, I gave it the time. I gave my skills. I gave my network. I gave myself the time I needed to develop into the kind of woman um, that could take on a, you know, a role of a business owner. I really needed to, I needed to grow. I needed to be humble enough and to realize that it wasn't the time I needed to respect that. So I did. And I went back to the corporate world. I went back to agency life and I picked up, I intentionally picked up the skill sets and the experience and I mean, the failures, of course, <laughs> needed to to learn the things that that would be, later become the tools of like the tools in my kit that would help me build my business. A lot of entrepreneurs that I speak with talk about the tools in your kit. But before I, I jump into that question, I know that you're very people centric. So you put people before profit, which I think Always. is the best thing any business owner can do. Can you explain just a bit about that for, for the listeners that don't get what putting people before profit is? Um, I mean, there's a few examples I could give. I'll give an example during COVID. Um, I have a client who is a restaurant chain in the city and, you know, they were hit financially because everything was locked down. You know, they weren't able to, there was no more dine-in service. We had to ramp up on delivery. And because a lot of their business came from Uber Eats, they take a, a sizable percentage um, is it 20? But anywhere between 25 to 30%, mm. I believe. I mean, 25 is on the low end. And they came to me and said, you know, we can't afford our, we can't afford our regular fees with you, our retainer fee with you. So, but we need you right now. And uh, I mean, I mean, I'm sure some business owners out there, some people in PR would probably not agree with what I did. Maybe, maybe they would. I don't know. But it just felt right to me. I agreed to lower the retainer fee to less than 50% because that's what they could afford. Um, but I didn't cut the scope of work because the things that I was doing to support them were things that they absolutely needed in that moment to continue to get the word out about their products, about the food, um, about what they were doing for the community, about the safety measures that they were taking. It was not a time to pull back on communications. It was a time to ramp up. That And, you know, social media is, is, is a huge communications channel for them social media the website email communications and some media and influencer relations and it would just it would not have been the right thing for me to do to agree to lower the retainer and then do half of the work at such a crucial time for my client and i have personal relationships with these people and i care about their businesses and the success of them so yeah i mean it was it was without a question i said i will not lower this i will not change the scope of the work but we will absolutely lower the scope so that we can keep working together 
Can you let me know if there's anything else I can do? It was important for us to really come together as a team, not as a vendor for, and, and a client. I, you know, I, I had to, I definitely, like, I couldn't, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking like, what, how, what, what is the other option that you could have taken? There was no other option for me. And that's what makes you special because you, you act on your gut and your heart and you say that there's no other option. Like, and, and you don't consider the what ifs and, and what can happen. And I find that's really crucial when you're in business or in anything is you just have to leap with what you know and, and ride with it till the bitter end. Something I, you and I are very similar in, um, sort of hardheaded. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I've been an entrepreneur for two years and by no means and I, am I an expert, by no means do I know everything, but I do know what has, what has proven to be true in all my years of being in, you know, on the corporate end and now as a business owner is, is to, is to be human centric in all that you do mm-hmm. is to really approach it from a really human centric perspective. And yeah, you know, the bottom line is important. Of course, you know, everyone's got to eat. I get all of that, but I think I, I always have to think, how does that, how does this affect our relationship? How does this affect mm-hmm. their, their relationships? Is this something that is kind? And it's it sounds really flowery when you're when you're talking about kindness in the business world, and I get that. But that's just how I am, and I can't be any other way. Flowery. I love I love that you picked, you said that that you picked flowery. That's pun intended. Um, <laughs> I gotta ask you because so many people listen to us and, and they're entrepreneurs and they're coming up. The toolkit. What has been like your top two tools that you find that you use all the time? just honestly it just it's so simple to me the i'm i'm really i love working with people i mean obviously i'm in pr i was a reporter before just being a good person you'd be surprised <laughs> it's really obvious right it's like be a good person but for some people it's hard yeah and that has proven to be the top the sharpest tool in my toolbox is to just be a good person, be thoughtful, be kind, be considerate, act with integrity, be generous with your time, with your resources. It's never led me in the wrong direction. I've been so blessed in my career. I've had amazing mentors. I've had people help me along in my career, provide me with guidance, provide me with opportunities, open doors for me, forget open doors, build doors for me, help me create new platforms. Um, And it's because we. I, I just. I don't just deal in the cur- in, in the currency of money. There's other currencies that you can deal in exchange. Energy, time, uh, and yeah, just be a good person is like number one tool. Operate from a place of integrity. Operate from a place of excellence. It's a no-brainer, but I get it. It can be challenging when you're hustle hus- hustle bustle mode and you're mm-hmm. trying to remain competitive. That actually could be the thing that could give you a competitive edge you know how many times you know i'm sure that when you talk about a colleague or you talk about someone or let's say you're interviewing someone for a role one of the things that i've noticed when i hear people give feedback about about their colleagues or or their peers at work is what when people say they're really easy to work with is is a consistent theme amongst people who have great relationships and who who climb in their careers and i want to be that i want to be someone who's really easy to work with who's trustworthy who's a trustworthy partner who provides really great counsel who you actually want to get on the phone with you know and it's not just business what a crappy feeling 
when you are hopping on the phone with your team members and you dread that call or when you're hopping on the phone with a supplier or a consultant or you know the agency that you hired in my case and you don't want to connect with them so I, I, I always start there I want the people who work with me to want to work with me I get that I get that and I find that it's important the the likability factor right like you people yeah be likable that's <laughs> that's simple yeah that's my num- number one tool be likable <laughs> be a good person be likable yeah that and smell nice honestly <laughs> when you're likable you smell nice I find that everything you can everything else can go wrong but those top two things yeah. are 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 tools for me but you know what I want to hit you with with another question just because it's what I do is hit people with questions. Now that you're kind centric, how is that dominating in a man's world? Being a female of color, which is like, to me, it doesn't seem weird because I've seen it. I've seen you and I've seen so many other mentors and and people I look up to do it. Mm -hmm. But I know it's not an easy task. So how is that in your world? Like it's, you know, what's happening? Um, The PR world is predominantly female. So... But how can I put this delicately? It's um, to operate this way or to openly admit and talk about your value systems when they're rooted in something that's a bit different than what the industry has traditionally been rooted in, I think is surprising because there's quite a bit of contrast. But I, I personally haven't felt any pushback in particular I haven't felt any negative impact from this Um, that's specific to my value systems and obviously my value system is what impacts how I run the agency right how I I actually do business Mm -hmm. the thing that I feel has impacted me um, is being a woman of color Mm -hmm. Uh, back in was it March 2019 I had a business partner and we had um, some freelancers and consultants who would take on some work for us. And we had, we, we were just redesigning the website and we had a couple of pitch decks going out to potential clients. You know, we were doing new business development and I was reviewing one. I was looking at the bios page and every single person was a person of color. And <laughs> I'm actually ashamed to admit this. But it felt, I was, it felt, I actually said to myself, I think that this could hurt us. I think that these potential clients won't take us seriously because there's a, it was two Filipino people, someone of Spanish heritage, um, someone of Guyanese heritage, and someone who's Chinese. And I actually said to my business partner, we need to find someone white to work with because I felt that that would validate us and make us and and you know make us worthy of being in the pool to be considered as an agency which is actually a really sad place to be because the people that were in that deck are smart have amazing experience have a lot to bring to the table are fantastic consultants they're great at what they do they've created amazing work they've proven their value and the color of their skin was a barrier and let's be honest um, I'm, I mean, I can't say with certainty, but I do feel that a few of these potential clients probably just looked this over, but maybe they didn't even know it. Maybe it was subconscious, um, but probably looked this over because we didn't look like a traditional um, communications or PR firm coming out of Toronto. 
I don't know if the industry is ready for that. I think that the industry, my personal opinion, should be ready for that just because whenever I work with somebody, I I strive for them to be a person of color. Like it's in, super intentional of how I who I talk with, who I go on camera with, who I do all these things with because I feel as though we're not represented in the media as well as we should be. Um, and then when we are, it's like the exception. Like wow, this one person can do it, right? Which is it makes me sad. Like in a way, I'm sad about it, but then it makes me happy to see that shit somebody that looks like me can actually do it what would you say to somebody right now that's listening or or wish that you could tell yourself march 2019 of that decision like now with the clarity that you have would you still make the same choice or would you be like if i could sit down with that version of myself so if marisol from august 2020 could go back in time and have a heart to heart with marisol 2019 i would tell her don't worry about not having any white people in that deck. <laughs> um, the people that see you for your true value are the people you want to work with and will see beyond the color of your skin. And I'm so blessed because I know my clients haven't hired me and I have, a, I have amazing clients, huge clients uh, who trust me with their reputation, with their public image. I'm so blessed because I know that they didn't reach out to me because they wanted a person of color, you know, on their team. I know that wasn't the intention. They reached out to me because they believe in my skill set. They have faith in me. They have faith in Marcel as a person, not because well we need to t- tick a box off. We need to hire a woman, not because we need to hire a woman of color. You know, not because we have to hire a person of color. We need to fill a percentage, or we need to you know fill the diversity box. They hired me because they believe in me, and because they trust me and people who look at you and think oh because she doesn't look a certain way or because she doesn't look like the typical you know the, the kind of person that we, we you typically see in these roles maybe she's not a good fit that's that's totally fine i believe that i will always align with the people i am meant to align with and i have but that's such a hard thing to do at times just to trust with how you look like and how you feel like that that's good enough right like i struggle with it myself sometimes like sometimes i'm like hold on wait let me just add more blush i agree <laughs> i i think i and it's just it's the way that we've been conditioned in the world right like i and i i, I don't think other people see it like people i don't think other people are aware of it but i i'm sure like i've I've always had the thought of when I was sitting in like a meeting room or a boardroom at any of the firms that I was at and I was the only visible minority, I would actually sit there and think like, do do they see what I see? Like, <laughs> does anyone notice that I'm not like the only non-white person here? Is that okay? And I would actually, I would, I mean, these are the things I would think about. And in many ways, I would try to assimilate so that I wouldn't stick out so much. Yeah, I felt that. I felt that just because I'm often the only person in some of the rooms that I'm in and like the only person of color, like I'm Afro-Latina. So that's just different all all on its own. And I would sit there and I could just see the privilege like oozing out of them. Right. I, I, I could say that just I could see it oozing out of them. And I'm sitting here like, do you? So you're you're what? 
you got here because you know who and you know it's just now i kind of have a better understanding of, of like relationship buildings and things like that but me four or five years ago i i had no idea i would be swinging the bat left right and center trying to get things or trying to get opportunities that i that weren't meant for me that they were destined for somebody else already with their privilege um which is like heartbreaking in, in a sense but now i I understand that that's part of their world and that's how it works. What would you say was the first time that you saw privilege? Because I saw it with somebody that I recommended for a job who was overqualified Mm -hmm. for this job, but I saw it as a, as a strategy for her to get in and then move to where she wanted to. I don't, when it comes to examples of privilege, white privilege, specifically in the workplace, you know, I, I don't, rec- I, I mean, right now I can't recall anything, but I do have examples of <laughs> just how different our paths were leading up to that point and just how, how different my world was before I got, before I stepped through those corporate doors. You know, my, my mother and my father immigrated to Canada, like, like many other, like, like your parents, yes, I'm yeah. sure, um, with nothing like it's it's the story that they told us right mm-hmm. i had nothing i didn't have shoes da, 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 da. And, I'm, and i as a child like i you know i would i used to think like sure sure you live that way because i didn't know anything any better but when i went back to the philippines and i actually saw what my parents came from they they weren't joking mm-hmm. you know they 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 slept on a dirt ground with a mat and then came to canada and rebuilt a lot and tried to build a better life for themselves for for the kids they hadn't had yet myself and my sister um, and their family. I didn't have a cottage growing up. You know, the biggest accomplishment for my family was acquired was buying a house, was having land in Canada, and that was mm-hmm. that was their goal, was to uh, buy a house and own it outright, pay off the mortgage. That was huge for them, and to send their kids to post secondary school. Those were those were our family goals. Like that that was my mom's dream for for her kids. And I just remember sitting in a lunchroom one day and. You know, my dad was a janitor um, with the school board. My mom worked several different jobs before she uh, got to TD after she did some schooling and stuff. She became a financial advisor. She did quite well for herself. But other people in the room had completely different upbringings. Like, I know my parents struggled when I was growing up. Like, there was no... (laughs) Getting a pair of Nike shoes was an event. Like, that was an (laughs) event. You know, like hand-me-downs were a regular thing shopping at goodwill was a thing before it was cool to shop at goodwill like i shop it like i'll go get quote-unquote vintage things from goodwill now my mom jokes and says when i used to take you there you were embarrassed you were so embarrassed that we shopped at thrift stores because that's what they could afford yeah you know trying to trying like to make sure their kids looked good when they went to school and it's just so it's not an example of privilege it's an example of contrast you know, for my for my birthdays, like I didn't I didn't get a car. Like, what? like <laughs> I was I've been working since I was fifteen. Um, my my parents did pay for my post secondary mm-hmm. school, like, but we didn't go to a cottage every weekend. Like, my dad didn't have all these connections in the world that could get me internships or get me through the right doors. Like, there was zero connections for me when I was going into this world. I had to knock on doors and and you know, prove my worth. And I would take, I took many internships, many unpaid internships and then worked part-time jobs so that I could keep going. I guess there's a bit of privilege there, right? 
um, for people who didn't have to take that path or who had doors open for them because they knew someone who knew someone who knew someone and that's okay like I'm I'm not blaming them for what, what the doors that have that were available to them but it was it was eye-opening for me and it and I knew that I was different like it made me feel really different the fact that I live I grew up in Scarborough like no one else in my in my agency grew up in Scarborough what <laughs> like what's that <laughs> yeah like I I actually had someone say to me one time like where is it no um they said they said where do you where do you live and I thought I was I mean it was early on in my career and I said oh I live in Scarborough with my parents oh you don't look like someone who would live in Scarborough oh. and uh I remember thinking like I what does someone who lives in Scarborough look like <laughs> okay <laughs> you know, but it's just like things like that, that made me, and I used to think like, oh, maybe I'm over-exaggerating. Maybe I'm making this all up in my head. Like maybe I'm just being really hard on myself and because it's not a big deal, but it, it does impact how, how you operate in the world, your upbringing and how it's, it's different from other people's. And I was, I was always the person in the, in the, like in the office to put their hand up. I slept at the office sometimes. Because I, I, I felt like I needed to work that much harder. And it's insane that we think that we have to work that much harder. Maybe, but maybe we do. Maybe we did. I don't know. You know, I back to differ. Sometimes I feel as though I, we put that pressure on ourselves to, like, perform mm-hmm. at a certain level. And is it really that necessary? Like, my greatness should be able to shine without... Like, I, I want it just to shine, just be great yeah. without putting in. I, maybe it just sounds, I'm very, like, you know, woo-woo, and I, I like to dream and whatever. But you touched upon so many key points. Like, I grew up on Western Road, and I claim Western Road in every episode of life. I'm about to get a shirt. <laughs> and I know that when I would go, when I went to college, and I went to college downtown, I would never go downtown. Like, ever. Oh, this is a treat. Right? I must have been, like, downtown, like, once or twice. And my mom, on my first day of college, she bought me my last metro pass and she's like you're on your own like you better figure out what you're doing for february and i go down there and i'm with my backpack and i and i get up on king street and i look left and right and i had no idea where this campus was because i didn't go to orientation because i thought i didn't need it please go to orientation for everything um (laughs) and i sit there and i ask somebody where george brown college is and they pass by me they don't even answer me so it it you saying that you're from Western Road and then that from Scarborough and I'm from Western Road, that was like a point for me that I was just like, all right, well, you better buck up because you're asking questions downtown to people and they don't answer you because you're wearing a backpack and a, a hat that says Toronto hat, Raptors and nobody's paying attention to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was, a, it was a lesson for me that I thought that I had made it because I made it to college when I had just simply started. Like that was just the beginning of so many different things. How would you find that that Marisol that would be from Scarborough to now, do you still feel like it's the same person? Because sometimes I'm like, I'm just a chick from Western Road. Um, I think there are some things about me that will never change. I again, my my corporate my corporate background, my corporate career has was great. Like I, I was surrounded by very supportive. I would even say loving in some cases people. You know, you interviewed Vanessa. I worked with her at National and she was a, I didn't report directly to her, but I did work on um, an account with her and she was immensely supportive. She she was a, very nurturing. She was, a, you know, she can, is still a mentor of mine. 
I was really blessed to have a lot of those, a lot of those. I, I mean, I don't want to name names, but there was a woman who was, you know, pretty high up at the firm and she took me under her wing as an account coordinator and taught me new business development. I'm 21 learning new business development from this seasoned professional. I didn't ask. She sought me out. Mm. It was, I'll never forget her. I'll never, ever. I'm, I'm, I will be forever grateful to her because a lot of the skills that I use now, I learned from her. And she took the time to teach me that. The, they, and that's, I, I say all of that because there are, when I, when I wasn't, I wasn't, um, knowingly molding myself that very early on. I was just me and I was trying to figure out how I could fit in, but there was something they saw in me that obviously they liked and they wanted to nurture and they felt was, you know, there was value in nurturing. And I think that's from the grinded out mentality that comes with, you know, living in a household that, you know, is financially tight. So you go to work and you go to school and my parents were the kind of parents who, Oh, you got a B? <laughs> yeah. Oh, what is B? Oh, okay. B's for bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my mom would you say. You know, I, my curfew in grade nine was <laughs> we ended school at three. Like my, my dad's like, oh, you better be home by 3.30. Okay. <laughs> you know, they were, they were pretty strict. Um, and I understand why. But yeah, the, what, growing up in Scarborough taught me a lot of street smarts for sure. Uh, tra- taught me to trust my intuition because that's sometimes that's all I had to go on was my intuition when to leave a bad situation if the situation was safe if you know like certain people were safe to be around um, but also that that hard work mentality and like that's also instilled from my parents is to just do good work yeah. all the time be the hardest working person in the room and I don't know if I necessarily agree with that way of life right now but being the hardest person and hardest working person in the room served me well for about a decade. It works. It works like being like consistent and just never giving up and that extra touch, like that extra mile that you go, it's necessary. It's totally necessary. But what's what's I'm hitting the wall with is why does it have to be necessary, right? Mm-hmm. We should just show up and be amazing and be great. Uh, so it's a it's a constant struggle that I'm having myself right now because I feel as though okay I know you're talented right and, and I'm talented and to me that's sufficient for us to be amazing mm-hmm. right but that's just I guess I don't know I'm like a dream catcher or a dream chaser or, or all these ideas but mind you I work 18 hour days so it, I, I want to apply it but I'm not right I still feel like that extra like that immigrant mentality my mom was a single mom so you already know all the tricks all yeah. the tricks that she used oh my god Every, the way I can reuse things is incredible trust me <laughs> she would take my my tights that didn't fit me and make them into hair bows so I'd be walking around with tights as hair bows like I was hot oh that's genius I was like what are you doing and like everything like my my jeans into shorts my mm. two piece like my one piece bathing suits into two piece bathing suits the next summer like she would just she, she does it all um so i'm super thankful for her but before we all go on a tangent and start bawling about our immigrant parents and all the stuff that they did for us i gotta ask you like one last thing if you you know what i have to ask you this because we talked about this so i don't want to end it so i gotta ask you this we talked a bit on the phone about like having nice things but not like not explaining it right 
because of where we come from and like how we grew up because we want nice things and we have nice things now it's like a luxury of like wow but you want to normalize that like it's a normal thing right like we spoke about like one of your clients who has an office downtown and she's a lawyer like why isn't that except expected like the norm mm-hmm. um so i want to touch just briefly about that subject because we tell our stories and we feel like we're not worthy of it how have you been able to break that mold of feeling worthy of all the nice things and the, the glitz and the glam too right i have to be honest with you i think it's just happened as i've i don't like the word old as it's, i've gained eight as i've gained years wisdom, wisdom. <laughs> um i don't care anymore mm. honestly if dressing a certain way wearing a certain thing buying something that because it fuels me no one and no one can define what's good for me unless it's me and you know what? If I'm doing something that I mean, I I understand if how can I put this? Okay, let me rephrase that. With all the years that I've gained, what's come with that is this wonderful ability. Can I swear? Swear <laughs> to not give a shit about what anyone thinks about what I'm wearing, what I'm driving, where I live. Whether or not I have a dog, like, whether or not my hair is, like, I don't care. It's, I don't care anymore because I am so confident and sure of who I am and what value I bring to the table that an opinion like that is not worthy of my energy. I don't actually, I don't care anymore. Like, it's so freeing. The freedom in that is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's changed the way I carry myself, it's changed the way I dress. It's unearthed the version of me that feels immensely authentic. I have this, one of my favorite quotes is that, you know, we, a lot of us are paying heavy rent on versions of ourselves that we don't own. Oh, say that again. <laughs> say it again. Yeah, a lot of us are paying a lot of rent to live in versions of ourselves that we don't own. And it's, isn't it better to just own who you are? That's all, that's all that's all you. No one's knocking at your door every month asking you to pay up for something that's not yours. Dude, that was a mic drop. That was a, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Like, ah, I need sound effects. <laughs> I need sound effects on this show now. Like, that was a mic drop. I find that a lot of people are constantly walking, trying to be something that like that they're not, and it becomes exhausting for them, right? And that's where the stress comes in, and all the other things that nobody wants to talk about but you know if you're just yourself I I always remember somebody that I worked with super super young I was 18 and Sandy was just she's a rock star she ah she was great and she when somebody would come and like we had a really bad night at the restaurant everything was you know upside down and she literally said like they're like oh you're horrible this restaurant and they they chewed her up and she's like my name is auto like and I don't care what you think about me and that was like the biggest moment of like my teenage years because she didn't care yeah at that point right um and I've seen her manage 20 restaurants all at once like she was just somebody she's retired now but super 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 pivotal to how I work and what I do but I want to thank you for being on here because this was so much fun. Please come back. <laughs> um, I want to leave you the floor just for you to plug. Where can we find you if somebody needs PR help um, or any help? Or Her stories are popping. Just follow her for her stories. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram at Maricel Dicion. Um, we're actually not accepting any new clients right now. We're at capacity. 
Did you hear? Wait, say it again. Wait. She doesn't want, she can't work with all y'all right now. She's busy, okay? We're on her 2021. We're at capacity, um, <laughs> at least for the rest of the year. Yeah. But our, we rebranded recently because I bought out my business partner at the beginning of the year to DC on Inc., formerly the curators. So now it's under my namesake. And I think that gives the firm a very different energy in terms of how it's going to be built. So I'm excited. Congratulations on being busy for the rest of the year. <laughs> Thank you. That is just, okay, please, give me all the busy energy vibes so I can be busy too. No, that was super fun. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. You're my first in-person interview in like six months. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so I've had a blast. As always, this is your favorite host, Advice from Hannah, and I want to thank you for listening to me. Toodles. Oh, baby.